What got you there is not going to keep you there. This week, I speak to Kevin Goldsmith, who is the CTO at DistroKid. He's also worked at a huge number of amazing companies like Spotify, Adobe, and Microsoft. We're going to talk about a time when his role was changing. He went from being a developer to someone with a team of two to three people, to 20, to 50, to 70, and eventually well over 100. As his role changed, he needed to change as well, but Kevin resisted. We're going to talk about what the cost of that was and how he eventually came to the realization that he needed to change as his role was. We're going to talk about where he looked for advice, the steps that he took, and what things are like now he's overcome it. This is a bit of a rite of passage for lots of leaders in scaling companies, so I think there's going to be value that everyone can take from this episode. Enjoy this conversation with Kevin Goldsmith. Welcome to the Leadership for Unicorns podcast. I'm your host, Rob D. Willis, and I work with tech companies all over the world to teach them communication skills and public speaking. Join me as I talk to tech leaders who have seen it all. You'll hear their stories and learn from their experience. So buckle up and let's uncover those gems they won't teach you in an MBA. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here, man. I'm overjoyed to be here. This, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. Awesome. So for the listeners, could you just introduce yourself, tell us a bit about where you are and a bit about your background too? Absolutely. I'm uh, Kevin Goldsmith. I am the chief technology officer at DistroKid. We're a music distribution company. We help artists get their music onto platforms like Spotify and iTunes and things like that and Apple Music. Uh, I'm based in Seattle, uh, Washington in the US. Uh, the company itself is fully distributed, so we have folks all over the world, but this is where I am. I've been a CTO. I've been at DistroKid uh, almost a year, but I've been a uh, CTO at for seven years at different companies. And prior to that, I was a VP at Spotify, a director at Adobe, I've been a developer, a tech manager. I've been, I've been working in the industry for, for now over 30 years. Wow. And in tech, that is a good chunk yeah. of like what we know <laughs> to be the, the, the technological world at the moment. So loads yeah. of experience, real kind of Mount Rushmore of tech companies you worked at so it's oh, really sure. cool to keep so could you tell me like let's just dive in uh, what's been the time where you've been really tested as a leader i think at once i became a manager and and was growing teams and i went from you know three developers on a team to seven and then 14 and you know it, it, all, it was all going quite well and I was felt very comfortable and then I got to the point where I became a director and now I'm managing 30 40 50 people and I got very good at you know taking the things that I was made me really good as a developer or as a manager and then kind of making that who I was as a director kind of being in the middle of everything and being aware of everything kind of being the center of you know the information like information flowed to me and then flew up flowed out that started to get tested when I was at Spotify and now I was managing 70 people and 80 people and 90 people. And all of a sudden, you know, there was, there was sort of two inflection points for me. This was, this was, I think the most significant for kind of me as a leader, all of a sudden, all the things that I was doing, I couldn't do anymore. There was just too much. Everyone assumed I knew I was aware of everything, but I wasn't anymore because there was just too much stuff going on around me. Mm -hmm. And 
it was causing me, I was having to work more and more hours. I was having to spend more and more time. And it was, I was always feeling behind. I was always feeling like I wasn't doing what I needed to do. And I wasn't doing my job very well. And my team was still growing. It was now getting to a hundred people. And it really came down to the fact that I realized I, I had been what I considered very much a servant leader and very much, especially a company like Spotify, giving autonomy into all the teams and where I didn't feel like I was like pushing things down mm-hmm. into organization. But what I, what I was doing wasn't scaling. I was not scaling with my team. And I was yeah. starting to do not a great job of, because of it. So for me, it was learning how to let go of things, even though I, I thought that's what I've been doing. I really hadn't been learning how to let go, learning how to trust, learning how to delegate more effectively. That's was sort of the key that let me then kind of grow the team and feel like confident that, mm-hmm. you know, the right things were happening at, so I could grow a team to 150, 175, and then later in other companies, even, even bigger teams than that. Yeah. That's, it's so funny, funny because so many people have gone through this growing pain that yeah. I think you need needs to, it's almost like a rite of passage, I think, to get to the kind of level that you've got up to is to face that, that obstacle. And you said yeah. there was a moment where you realized you weren't being the servant leader that you wanted to be. Was there maybe a particular conversation or a moment where it really hit you? I think it, I did a course. I did a course uh, called uh, Problem Solving Leadership um, with Jerry Weinberg. And as part of the course, I was offered you know you could uh, it was a very small course but it was a lot of folks who were like me kind of director vp level some some not uh, some ics as well but it was all about how to you know kind of evolve as as, as a leader and uh, as part of that the other teacher was esther derby i went to lunch with her and i was describing how basically i was having to work more and more and more hours just trying to feel like i was keeping up and just also feeling like i was unaware like i wasn't keeping up with my organization and so i had the realization that what i was doing wasn't working but i didn't know what i needed to change i thought i was doing what i was supposed to be doing and so she really started to point out this problem of it seemed, you know, talking to me for a while, and we've been in the course together, she started to point out, well, you seem to, you know, you want to be the, the person that knows everything on the team, knows what's going on. Not that you're directing people, because I, I really wasn't, go, you do this, you do this, but I was the person that, if you needed to know something, or you needed to, to have, a, if you had a question, you came to me, because I was the one that always had the answer, and having to let go of that. But that was what had defined me as a leader, right? That's how mm-hmm. I got to that point. And me having to be able to say, like, I don't know, I want to go talk to this person. And the next time you go talk to that person directly, you don't come to me. That was, for me, for whatever reason, what had got me to that point was being the person who knew everything. And then I had to let go of that. And But it was really her that pointed out to me. I knew, I knew what I was doing wasn't working. I had that realization, but I didn't know how to not do that. And yeah. she gave me some tools and, and, and ideas just on how to do that, which helped me kind of start rethinking about how I approached the role. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's funny, Zed, because 
as you said, what got you to where you are, where you were, was the yeah. fact you did know everything. Yeah. And then from a certain point, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, you know, because obviously the best way to handle this is to avoid a situation like that. Uh, but I know that people, I mean, maybe it's something which is appealing to people to be the all-knowing person, the person who knows everything. They know where this goes and that goes. How can they, well, what, would, what would you say to your younger self going into, let's say you're still managing three, or, three to five people, three to five engineers. Yeah. Would you handle that phase exactly the same or would you start thinking about things differently from then? I no, I think you know, I would handle that phase the same. I think the there was you know, I think the and, and you're right, I think this is a rite of passage. If you're like you know, if you have the same problem I have or you have a different problem, the thing I see because I you know, I I step into companies that usually kind of scale up type companies mm -hmm. and I'm usually I'm oftentimes stepping into the role because whoever was in the role before was having scale the problem scaling as the company mm -hmm. scaled right so and I mentor a lot of folks and so I hear this problem a lot and it's not always like I'm the center of the team or I know everything that's going on in the team but often it is because when you grow with a team as a leader, you are aware because the team's small. It's very easy to know everything mm -hmm. that's going on in a 10 or 12 or 14 or even a 30, 40 person team. You can be on every Slack channel. You can be on every mailing list. Mm -hmm. You can be in many meetings and know everything that's going on in the team. It just starts to fall apart. But it might be that you're the technical expert, especially mm -hmm. if you're like a founding technical person in the company like you know all the technology but now there's a lot of people working on the technology and you no longer know everything but people still assume you do things like that or what that's what defined you you know the system architecture you know how every piece of code works and you're now the code is there's a lot of people working on the code and you don't anymore um, and then you're struggling for that so it, it could be lots of different things that that cause that it's the the thing i would have told myself as a younger person is just to recognize that this is going to happen right mm -hmm. if you are successful no matter what no matter how you are successful your job changes as you get more senior and you have to recognize the things that don't work for you the things that are no longer working and then you have to change instead of trying to figure out just how to do more of what yeah. you're doing. I think earlier there was a point where I was coding on the teams and I was trying to keep coding because that felt like that was part of my identity as a somebody who went from developer to manager. Um, and I needed to be a participant on the project in order to be technically... Re, you know, to be able to represent technically. And I got to the point where I was working weekends and evenings and my family was, you know, not happy with me because my day job was not coding. Mm -hmm. It became my night job. My second job was trying to be a developer on the team. And at that point I had a manager, my manager said to me, like, who's the worst developer on your team? And I said, I, I, I don't know. Like, that's kind of a 
not nice question to ask. And he said, you are, you're the worst developer on your team because <laughs> it's, you're doing it as a second job and you need to let go of it. And I, I, that time I had somebody kind of slap me, you know, essentially slap me with this knowledge later. I, sh- I wish I'd realized that that I needed to stop doing what I was doing earlier and kind of made that start to make that adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you mentioned that there's a personal challenge because you're not with your family or not. Yeah. It's not healthy to be to be no. working that much. There's a leadership challenge because people are not really being developed as developers. They they just they're basically your assistants. You're just a yeah. developer with more people implementing grunt work for you. But I imagine that there may also be a technical problem with having someone so bound to the technology. That, I mean, what if that person leaves? What are the kind yeah. of problems that can happen technically if someone's too attached to a, a project? You know, I, that's something we, we you know, as, as a leader of, of technology teams, it's something I'm always very conscious of is how many people know any part of a system. And you're always <laughs> trying to make sure that multiple people do it. But when it's you... And it's your identity and people, and it's kind of, especially either as a very senior developer where everyone comes to you to ask the questions. And so you get to be the knowledgeable person and influence the rest of the project that way. This is why we do it this way or whatever. It is, it's very tempting to like want to keep that role and not to give away that knowledge, even if, even if you know you need to, but it is very dangerous to have to not have a lot of people have oversight on it. One thing I do very much, and one thing I've done at DistroKid since coming to DistroKid, DistroKid is a company that grew very quickly. It was very it was a very small company for a long time, and then grew very rapidly over the last couple of years. Which means it's the system was developed over many years by a small number of people, and those are those people are are some of the only ones who know some of these deep systems. And so what we, one of the things that we've been doing is like taking ownership away from these people and giving it to completely different people. Mm-hmm. And then their job is to mentor the new team to kind of pick up their old systems mm-hmm. just purely as a way of just spreading the knowledge around and making sure that multiple people know every part of, of what of our systems in case somebody wins the lottery, in case somebody, mm-hmm. you know, uh, wants to retire someday. Um, that's one of the things that me, as as kind of technical leader, has to make sure that there's multiple multiple pe- multiple multiple people with knowledge of any part of our systems. And have you noticed? Don't have to name names, but have you noticed similar resistance? Because if they're a founding member of a technical team, it's it literally is their baby. You know, they've created yeah. this. Yes and no. I I. I, I me directly having experience with this, not not as much, but me mentoring people, mentoring folks in my situation at other companies, absolutely, yeah. So there's folks I mentor who are either kind of stepping, have stepped into the role of a CTO at a company that's been around for a while. The founding CTO uh, oftentimes kind of moved to a, like an architect role or some mm-hmm. other kind of senior technical role. And... You know, the number one challenge for that, CT- that new CTO is the former CTO refuses to let go, <laughs> refuses to let go of things. But their entire reason they're no longer CTO is because they won't let go of things. And so yeah. 
you know, giving them, you know, a lot of time spent, like, how do you get this person to mentor others or how do you selectively start mm-hmm. kind of shaving things off and, and giving it, distributing the responsibility if that person is an un, is unwilling to do it themselves. Because that is, it is an incredible danger, incredibly dangerous part, place for a company to be in where you have a single person that, is the only one that knows things, something, especially, you know, if you're now like a 200 person company with, you know, millions of dollars of investment in you, like that's a very dangerous place to be. Yeah. And it it sounds like the people who steered you towards letting go of this, did it in quite, quite a brutal way. You're the worst developer on the team. Oh yeah, my manager, my manager Adobe certainly, the VP at Adobe who who had that talk with me. But I appreciated it. Like he, like I, I hadn't really realized this. Like because in my Mm. head, I still could do it all. I just needed a little bit more time, right? Mm -hmm. I I just needed a little bit more time. And the reason he asked me this is Adobe used to have shutdown weeks where they may still where they have two weeks a year. The whole company is basically on vacation, and this Mm -hmm. was the Christmas week. And you needed VP approval to work that week. And I needed to work that week because all my features for the project were late. And I, so I was trying to f- get permission to work when I was supposed to be on vacation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's where he had that conversation. But it, I needed to hear it. It was an important thing for me here. In this other case, I think maybe because I'd had that experience, I was, I was a little, I was definitely aware that what I was doing wasn't working, but I was trying to figure out, I was still in the mode of trying to figure out how do I make this work? Because I didn't know, I had, I, I didn't know what it meant to, to not be in that position and how do this is again, it's what makes you successful. What gets you to a point in your career where you get more and more responsibility oftentimes is not you that you have to let that go to kind of grow into the next level and i hadn't quite I, even though i'd had that experience i hadn't quite internalized it enough i was still trying i i was asking esther for advice on how to keep doing this more efficiently and her advice was stop doing that because it's clearly yeah. not working for you anymore yeah and i i needed to hear it but even though i kind of should have known at that point i'm yeah much about that now in hindsight, it's easy to, to make these judgments, isn't it? Of course, of course. But when you see, because you're mentoring people, they're meeting or maybe are in similar situations, yeah. do you feel they also need to get a brutal truth like that? Or do you feel it's very much dependent on the person? Or is it more gentle? What's, what's the way you think people should approach it? So uh, let me say, you know, because, because I advise and mentor external folks who come who, who are coming to me versus people that work for me, right? So for the people that work for me, where they may not, they may be similar to where I was, where they may not see this. You know, I can see this because I can, because I'm talking to them every week and I'm seeing how their, their, their work is going. I may, if I will give them the gentle, hey, you know, maybe this is, this doesn't seem to be working for you the way it used to maybe we need to start looking at that and but it is like you again you know it's sometimes a very difficult kind of thing to move from this is what got me here why isn't this getting me to the next point and so then i may be a little bit more brutal uh, about yeah. it if if they don't get it with people that i mentor or advise 
that's a little bit different. They're usually coming to me because they've already realized some, whatever they're doing isn't quite working or they're in a, they're not they're, they're not feeling comfortable and they know they need help and so they'll you know at that point they're very, usually very open to to trying different things and, and looking at it because they otherwise they they wouldn't be looking for a mentorship or, or advising yeah absolutely it's, it's just one of the key in- pillars of learning is personal motivation and if that's not there oh, yeah. it's really hard to actually do someone something yeah absolutely it's all very well when you you know let's say i come to you and i say this is not working you say okay you need to start passing off this mm-hmm. work to other people you're not able to develop and lead which is all true yeah but just telling me what you know giving me new knowledge doesn't necessarily change that much what do you think are the concrete first steps they need to have we don't need to go through all of them but maybe there are particular conversations they need to have with their team uh, maybe there are certain people they need to get involved with on a, on the board level for guidance yeah. where do you think the, the first place to start in this process of passing on your responsibilities to others lies there's one of the first things that a practice that I've picked up since this time, but one that I recommend to others as well is really taking. It's very really taking a, a, a do a retrospect on on yourself and really look at your own performance because I think, like I said, it may be that it's you need to delegate. It may be that you're actually a very efficient and effective delegator. Mm. Your biggest problem is communication and like you're not an effective communicator to your organization and that's Mm. what's holding you back or or, or whatever. So it's important. I think, so one of the things that I'll suggest, like go back, obviously look at your performance reviews, but actually go and request feedback from your peers, from, from folks in your organization look back at your own struggles over the past six months or year and really try and kind of put a little bit of distance between you and that and really try and understand how, you know, the projects that worked well, the projects that didn't work well, what did you do? How did you participate in these things? How did you, you know, what did you, what are the things you could have done differently and really actually Mm -hmm. take the time to think about that. Think about how your own interactions with others, your own performance, things you could do differently and then start to maybe generalize that and, and, and figure out like, what is the, the meta problem? What is the, the sort of core problem mm-hmm. that that's been challenging you? And then once you, once you feel like you, you have some confidence in that, then you can start thinking about, well, if my, if my biggest problem is I, you know, I kind of screwed this project up because I didn't have the right sense of what was going on. And so I gave people came to me for advice and I gave them bad advice because I didn't, you know, I had incorrect information because I assumed I had all the information I didn't. Maybe then the answer is, okay, either you real, you you figure out, oh, I need to have more information all the time, or you start Mm -hmm. to realize this is actually kind of a common problem for me. Maybe I shouldn't be the person people come to. Maybe I should become much more effective about connecting people to each other. And so it's really a kind of an iterative process. No one's going to change overnight. I think to your point is where do you start? I think you start by understanding your own limitations or mm-hmm. understanding the behaviors that are currently holding you back or maybe holding your teams back, right? Mm-hmm. 
then you can figure out, okay, how do I shift these things so that I am no longer an impediment to my organization, so that I'm helping mm-hmm. my organization instead of becoming a bottleneck for the organization or hurting the organization. Yeah, that that's powerful. So I, I think there is feedback performance, which I would read as some certain KPIs, and reflection. Yes. So with feedback, have you got any... What would be the first question? Again, gift of hindsight now. Yeah, of course. Go back to when you had that moment. Mm -hmm. What are the questions you either did ask or wish you'd asked to get really valuable insights about like what you were doing wrong? So I think what if if I had this practice back when you know when I was in this point where I I was just kind Mm -hmm. of working too hard and 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 hurting the organization, I would start to look at what is it that you know there where this was starting to become a problem was i was now starting to become a bottleneck for information um and teams were waiting on me instead of literally talking to each other right mm-hmm. and that's a lot of what i had to do is learn how to you know get the information i needed not all the information possibly and what i could have done is start looking back through emails and looking back through chats and then talking to uh, the managers that reported to me and find out sort of what's working in the organization what's not working in the organization very specifically what am i doing to help things and what am i doing to hurt things and they're not necessarily going to see this from my perspective so they Mm -hmm. won't say well you're clearly a bottleneck for information kevin instead what they're going to say is well you know sometimes it feels like we end up waiting on this other waiting on this other team and then if i then ask a question well what is it about this and i'll find out well you haven't actually talked to the team you talked to me and you're waiting for me to talk to the team Mm-hmm. But now I've got all these meetings and I don't talk to the team for several days. So now you're waiting on me. That's where I could start realizing, oh, I'm now the problem, right? I'm starting mm-hmm. to become the problem. Or I would find out, well, we we built it this way because we thought this was the way that we were supposed to do it. And it turns out that was actually incorrect. And I'll, oh, well, why did you build it that way? And then track it back to, oh, well, we talked to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we asked you what the way to do it. And you said, well, you should probably do it this way. But then when we talked to the other team, they weren't expecting us to do it that way at all, right? And, and so some of this is you really kind of have to be, you, you. this is what I'm saying is like, in these kinds of situations, you can start to get defensive if you mm-hmm. can't step away and really look at your own performance objectively. Um, so that's a, an important part of it is doing that. But also you have to kind of translate and be a little bit of a detective to understand yeah. sort of your part in in these in these things and what you could be you specifically should be doing differently. Feedback is useless without reflection. Exactly. Yeah, mind. that's absolutely right. You you need to understand like what do they really mean? Do I agree with it or not? Because mm-hmm. they might be wrong, not necessarily yeah, true just because someone said something. But then, as you also said, really really powerful there, not to get defensive. But there's a book I think by Douglas Stone called Thanks for the Feedback. Yes, and that's a great book. Brilliant. And it's so unique because it's not a book about how do I give more feedback, it's about how do I actually receive it. Yeah. And that's where people need to start, actually, I think, in learning feedback. is like, how do I take it? <laughs> Even when people, and I think an important point you said, yeah, sometimes you'll get feedback that's just incorrect, right? But always there's going to be maybe a little kernel 
of truth there. And you have mm-hmm. to be willing to say, somebody's going to say something, you go, well, all right, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. But what they're seeing is what they're seeing. And they may have ascribed an incorrect intention to it or something, but there's there's something there. there. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, it's, and again, it's worth kind of really looking to see, why would they say this? Yeah, right. I, I, they have it, curiosity. Yeah. Exact curiosity. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then just to to close off this, I mean, I could talk about it all day. It's a really interesting topic. But for those listeners who are doing everything, they're really clinging to their identity. Yeah. What is it like once you can let go? Tell us about the promised land. What? <laughs> 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 What are the signals which show you I've got this right now? It was. Well, it's interesting because all this, you know, once in again, it's a process, right? It's not going to be an overnight mm. thing. But what I saw as I learned to start letting some of this stuff go, mm-hmm. one, I realized um, I was still going to know what I needed to know. Like I didn't know everything, but I knew the import. I knew the things I, that were important for me to know because people would make sure I knew them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of it was I saw, and you know, I'm I'm someone that prides myself on developing the leaders that work for me and trying to grow them. But what I hadn't realized was that on un- unintentionally i was really kind of dampening down their ability to grow because i was mm-hmm. so central to my organization they started i started to see especially the ones who were ready for really more responsibility next level leadership they started to emerge as leaders even better more strong uh, leaders in the organization mm-hmm. which you know was just you know now i had people i could lean on i had people i could hand things to that I maybe wouldn't have given such a big project to or, or something so important to just because I hadn't seen that level of leadership from them. Now I started to realize, wow, I have, I've, I, th- I knew I had great people on my team, but I didn't realize like how much better they are than I even knew before. So, and, you know, obviously I also started to have a much better work-life balance and my family got to see me more and, and all those kinds of things. So, and and it also opened me up so that I think that was really the, the key thing for me because um, I kind of moved from developer to manager to director to VP. I would have never been able to make the next step to CTO mm-hmm. if I hadn't learned to do that. I would have mm-hmm. been very much stuck. And I probably also would have been stuck at that size of team where especially you know especially especially as the company grew around me i probably would have been stuck i would they would have hired another manager in above me Mm -hmm. um and then you know i would have probably been stuck in my level of the organization just because i wasn't i wouldn't have been able to scale to to running a larger organization yeah so any doubters out there take heed (laughs) and listen this is something which you need to do for yourself for your team for the performance of the company it is a rite of passage. I really feel it is absolutely a rite of passage. I, I will say the one thing about that that kind of introspection process as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I also notice is 
as you become more and more senior in a company, you get less and less feedback. Mm-hmm. Right. You, the feedback now comes, you know, for somebody at BP, you know, a lot of times C-level folks have, they're not really great at talent development. Very little CEOs, I've, few CEOs I've worked for have been great at, or, you know, very seriously concerned about developing me. Um, it's really becomes much more incumbent for you to develop yourself. And unless you can, unless you have that ability to introspect and look at your own performance and think about how you want to change, you will absolutely mm-hmm. get stuck because no one no one else is really interested no one is interested in developing you if you're not doing the job they'll find they'll just replace you so and if you're not growing you'll 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 end up somewhere else if you were to turn this into a business book mm. what would you call it uh, oh man i'm horrible at naming things i have named if you can think of the worst named products from some of the companies I've worked for, it's probably me that came up with those names. You know, what got you there is not going to get, you know, what, what got you there is not going to keep you there, but I'm betting some, there's a name like that already. Somebody's probably already written a book like that. But I like it. It's descriptive. It says exactly the message I think people need to take away uh, from, yeah. this, from this episode. Just going to ask about another topic um, sure. before we move on to, to rapid fire. Um, okay. And because, you know, you said I'd never have been able to become CTO without making this step. And yeah. the role of a CTO is is very unique, it's particularly in, in a tech company, obviously. Yeah. And you know, as a CTO, how would you approach balancing the technical and the business aspects of discussions, like in the boardroom, for instance? Sure. It very much depends on the, the, the scale of the company. Uh, Let me say that first. So in an earlier stage company or a very small company, the CTO is abs may be the only developer or maybe the, the, the lead developer Mm -hmm. when, as a company grows, they may be a, become more of a technical leader, but as the company grows and grows, you be, you know, you, you're still focused on the organization and supporting the organization but your non-technical stuff becomes more and more. You become more of a peer to mm-hmm. to the rest of the executive team, and you become the one that represents the technology part in in the executive team. But you're working with sales, you're working with marketing, you're working with product. Obviously, you spend mm-hmm. a lot. I, you spend a lot of time talking to finance, and it's really kind of what stage the company's at. I think, yeah. you know, uh, because I primarily sort of the companies I tend to work for are very much in this sort of C, you know, C, D round, Mm -hmm. 200 to 500, maybe a little bit bigger type companies. I'm very much, that's where there's a, and because I work for technology companies, so there's usually a a sizable development team. And so a part of my responsibility is making sure the company's executing against uh, product goals and and delivering product and and security and IT and data science and all those pieces. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say at least half of my time is spent with my peers. Mm -hmm. With, as Patrick Glencioni talks about, my first team is really the executive team. And Mm -hmm. my job is to represent the technology part of the company to to my peers but also you know to contribute to their discussions and Mm -hmm. just as i'm open to them you know contributing to mine and so that's that has become for me that's always been an important part certainly as a cto in in the role 
talking mm-hmm. with you know when a b2b cus- company i'm talking with customers i'm on sales calls you know in a in a district is really more of a b2c company so you know i am spending a lot of time uh, working a lot more time working with marketing and things mm-hmm. like that making sure that you know we're i'm part of those discussions because it's absolutely critical to the success of the company yeah i was talking to a cmo in the last yeah. episode that we recorded and he was talking about how the product and by virtue of being tech that the product there that ne- that needs to be the proof you know because if you've got this great marketing campaign which all looks great yeah. and everyone's having fun but people open the app or and it's just rubbish then it's going to undermine everything else that has that's come before so that Absolutely. partnership between tech product and marketing is is really essential in tech. Yeah. but but what about if they have a different vision to you and you're the tech guy you understand technology but they disagree how do you handle that they disagree about technology or they disagree about they, something else i mean maybe has there been a moment where there's been a disagreement oh, in yeah. your group yeah so you know i i can't I can't, I'm not allowed to have opinions on marketing if no one else is allowed to have opinions on tech, right? Or if marketing okay. isn't allowed to have opinions on tech, right? And I've certainly worked for, I've certainly worked with CMOs who were very opinionated. We must use this CMS, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, well, that's the worst CMS in the entire world. So we really can't use it. And, you know, there's a point where, you know, I we work together. We're going to try and mm-hmm. find a, a, a neutral thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I try and find something that works like the CM. They like the CMS for whatever reason. I'm going to find something that works like it, but maybe addresses some of the concerns I have. Uh, sometimes maybe I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to let you use a CMS, but in order to use this because I've got security concerns or whatever, we're going to use it in this way. And it's maybe not ideal for you, but this is the only way I'm going to, I'm going to give you what you want, but not exactly what you want. Right. Whatever. In the same way that I might say this, uh, this copy is, is horrible and they'll say, well, you know, but it's my thing. And I'm like, well, look, look at this. And then maybe they'll let shift it a little bit to make me happy. But you know, the executive team, if the executive team, if we're all looking at our own functions and kind of looking down mm-hmm. into our own organizations and just like, oh, if I, if I go to the exec team and say, you know, hey, bug count is this, and velocity is this, and here's the number of deliveries we had this week, and this is what's going on. I am doing my job great. Mm-hmm. And the company is failing because we can't sell any product. I'm not doing my job as a, as a member of the executive team, right? I need to be not only making sure my team's executing, but I need to be making sure that I'm supporting the rest of the organization. So if that, you know, if, again, if that means like I need to jump on some sales calls because having me just having the, by virtue of having the CTO join the sales calls is going to give a salesperson the ability maybe to help close a deal that's critical Mm -hmm. for the company. Or the customer says like, Hey, we need this feature, this feature, and this feature. And I can say, you know, this makes sense. This makes sense. What if we're kind of working on something like this? What if we did it this way? Mm-hmm. And that is going to give the customer confidence to that we will work with them. Mm-hmm. That's what I need to do. And that's the most important thing. I think, again, I think one of the problems of scaling that people my job tend to have is they get very focused into their organization and they feel like I got to walk, I got to be in my lane. I'm not allowed mm-hmm. to kind of look into other lanes. 
and then they just become sort of a non-presence. They're not they're not adding value to the executive team in the way that they could, and other people are, and that's where they tend to get themselves into trouble. I've worked with enough CROs that they are very opinionated on what, no, ma- no matter what, they're always very opinionated on what the tech team should be doing differently mm-hmm. um, because they're the ones talking to customers and they're the ones hearing where the product isn't meeting customer needs or mm-hmm. where new features. So, you know, so I have to be able to have a discussion and represent and, and, and have that, that kind of be able to talk to that. Here's where this is, you know, this is where you're right. This is where you're wrong. This mm-hmm. is what we're going to do the same. This is what we're going to do different. This is how you need to change your sales motions. If I can't do that confidently, I'm not doing the right thing for my team. I'm also mm-hmm. not doing the right thing for the company. Okay. So it's a much more collaborative role that you have yeah. to take. You could do You have to. Work, you yeah. And that's, yeah. And again, so much we could go into, into there as well, but the time has come for rapid fire. Just some quick right. questions, some tips, and things that you love, value, and so on. Start easy. What's one book you think every reader should read? Okay, Management 3.0 Management is a 3. book. It's a book by Jurgen Apello. Um, and I find myself recommending it quite a bit. And it is it he it does come a little bit more from the tech leadership perspective, but it talks a lot. There's a lot of books about uh, organizations as systems mm-hmm. and companies as systems. He does a good job kind of uh, integrating that in a very approachable way where it's not too system theory and it's not too kind of fluffy and not really covering okay. the system stuff a lot. Um, and he's not- very good on agile practices and things like that that I like as well. Management 3.0. Awesome. Which podcast do you think has had an impact on maybe your leadership style? If you know me and if you've read things I've written or seen talks I've given, this will seem very off brand, I guess. There's a podcast called Manager Tools. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to write a general book about leadership of technical organization, it would probably be called It Depends. Because, as I said, like the job of a CTO is very different depending on the size of the company and the and the age of the company and the scale of the company. Um, so the, the, everything is always very contextually dependent on your situation. And so I I tend to not want to give very specific advice. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Because generally, it worked for me. It's maybe in the situation I was in. It's not necessarily the situation you're in. It's not the company you're in. And if you do what I did it may make things worse instead of better, right? Management, mm-hmm. manager tools is very prescriptive and it'll tell you, this is how you do one-on-ones. You do it this mm-hmm. way, you do 10 minutes of this, 10 minutes of this, 10 minutes of that. So it's very different from my approach. However, uh, what I appreciate about that podcast, like I talk about this stuff because I've been thinking about this for a long time. They've been thinking about it for a long time. They have a different approach, but even if I won't do exactly what they say, I learn a lot from from the way they yeah. talk about it. Sorry, that was a very long explanation. No, no, it's, I agree. And I, just shortly on prescriptive approaches, any canvas uh, framework, this is someone else's best practice. It worked for them. Yeah. It can be a place to start and you can refine it. As you're a CTO, what's one piece of tech or software that you cannot live without? Oh, gosh. 
there's a, there's a lot yeah there's a lot i think realistically that the thing i probably spend the most of my time in every day is probably slack real and it's you know it it has very much changed the way we work especially in a, in a remote first company i but that's boring i think vs code maybe even though i don't code on projects for the company mm -hmm. i still read code a lot i look at code a lot might be vs code i'm trying to think of an unusual one evernote i don't know miro here i'll pick miro i love miro yeah, that's a cool one. yeah, yeah for there i use miro a lot for visualizing and communicating and, and trying yeah. to, to oh, it's work awesome out how for to explain presentations things. and workshops really good absolutely yeah and we mentioned how you need to keep growing as a leader. What skill are you working on at the moment? One of the things I'm working on, I think, is my communication. So, so I, I figuring out how to. I, I'm a person that is very good explaining verbally what mm -hmm. I think. It does not scale very well, <laughs> and I'm a person who doesn't write by choice. I'm a person who writes by necessity, mm -hmm. but that is the most effective way, not only to communicate, but to archive and show kind of the progression of an idea. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's been a career long struggle, I think, to be a better writer, be a better communicator in, in kind of written or Miro, you know, whatever art producing artifacts for the organization that can work and this was important before but i could always have a team meeting and explain mm -hmm. stuff to everybody since the the last several years we've been in 100 percent distributed organizations mm -hmm. it doesn't work anymore i have to get better at writing and so i think there's been a new urgency so that's that's probably the skill i'm most working on awesome awesome and hugely valuable a great practice it's a good way to learn to think as well i find when you are Absolutely. making yourself write something down uh where can people find out more about you kevin kevingoldsmith.com is my personal site that has links to my blog posts that has links to my talks that i'm giving or have given um recordings of talks so that's that's the best place to to get more info this links to my twitter and and mastodon and everything Good stuff. I'll be sure to link to everything in the show notes. It's been an amazing you. conversation, Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I look forward to seeing more from you in the future. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership for Unicorns podcast. Before you head off, I've got a small request to make. If you know another tech leader who would appreciate some of the ideas from this episode, please just click share and send it over to them. Also be sure to hit subscribe and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help. Until next time, I've been your host, Rob D. Willis. Thank you and goodbye.